This is our last message on the, the Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Uh, remember doctrine and duty. Anyway, uh, chapters 1 to 11 is doctrine. Paul has set forth here a foundation to build upon. Well, this is what we believe. And then he goes to chapters 12 to 16. This is duty. He takes that doctrine, he takes that theology, and makes it practical. A practical life application. This is what he's doing in 12 to 16. He's taking this biblical life application. And that's, this is what he's doing. The first thing he comes to, of course, as I mentioned before, is he talks about the relationship. Uh, he's translating our learning into living. And the first practical area of living that he comes to is what is your relationship with God? He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. So the question is, what is your relationship to God? The conclusion that we came to is our, our relationship to God is to be committed. We are to have a committed relationship with God, unconditional. There's no drawing back. The illustration I used was Demas in Second Timothy. Paul, as he always comes to the end of his books, he mentions certain individuals, greets them, or sends, sends information about them. And he comes and makes, there in 2 Timothy, this reference to Demas. Now, Demas is mentioned to us in Colossians and also Philemon. So we know that Demas was a traveling companion. He was a fellow servant. Uh, and as far as we know, he was a believer. But he says in Timothy, Paul mentions Demas, he says, Demas has forsaken me. He has gone after the world, or he's been drawn aside by the world. That which is alienated and apart from God. My concern is this. My burden is this. In fact, I was thinking this day, somebody said, what is your real passion, Pastor Ken? The politically correct answer to say, my real passion is to see people come to know Christ. I do want to see people come to know Christ. But my real passion is to see believers who do know Christ to live a committed life and have a committed relationship with God. Where are you in your relationship to God? Are you committed? Are you growing? Are, are you applying life, biblical life application to every aspect of your life? That's my passion. That you be sold out. That you will not be numbered with Demas. But you will give yourself wholeheartedly, holding nothing back, to living in obedience to the word of God, even if it hurts. So, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, Present your bodies a living sacrifice. So we made that transition from verse 1 to verse 2. Verse 1, we have an urgent request. I beseech, beseech you. The average attention span, by the way, is six minutes. I don't know if you knew that or not. That's why if you watch the Tonight, tonight Show, every six minutes they have an advertisement. Because that's a, that's, a, that's a person's attention span. So I've decided in preaching now, every six minutes I'm going to tell a joke. Okay. I'm kidding. Maybe every two minutes, but anyway. So when he says, in verse 1, he says, I beseech you, he's, this is an urgent request. He says, listen, I want your undivided attention, and I need it more than six minutes. I just need you to really focus at this point in time. So verse 1, it's an urgent request, I beseech you. The transition to verse 2, he, uh, as he says there, be not conformed, but be transformed. That's the personal challenge. He goes from the urgent request and he makes that transition to a, a personal challenge from a request to a command. Be not conformed, but be transformed. 
And then he goes from a living sacrifice, that's an external act in verse 1, to an internal attitude, the renewing of your mind. That you will not be conformed to this world, but you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And again, we focused on the importance of being in the scriptures, the importance of the, of the word of God, be saturated with it. Uh, I'm going to talk about that again today a little bit. So we make the transition from an external act, living sacrifice, to an internal attitude, renewing your mind. And then we go from, in verse 1, a logical conclusion. The, the word reasonable is our English word logic. This is, this is just a logical conclusion, okay, is that you be committed to God. That's a logical conclusion. What, what, if you look back what he has done for you, what he's done for us, what he continues to do for us, who he is. We were t- talking again in Sunday school this morning about his patience and his love for us. Who he is. You just think about that. Forget about what he's done. Just think about who he is. The reasonable result of that is that you would be a living sacrifice. That you would have a committed, unconditionally committed life to follow Christ. To walk in obedience to the word of God. That's just a logical conclusion. That's just a reasonable explanation. You just think about it. Concentrate for more than six minutes on it. And you'll come to the same conclusion. And then verse 2, we transition to the ultimate purpose. The ultimate purpose of a life that is committed to a relationship with God, the ultimate purpose of that is to do the will of God. Notice as it says there at the end of verse 2, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I'm going to spend most of my time this morning looking at the will of God. This is the expected outcome, that you may prove what is a good and acceptable will of God. So, the, the point is this. You can know you can know the will of God. Three things we're going to look at. I'll get to these, okay? We're going to, you can know the will of God. You are to enjoy the will of God. And the will of God can be done. Or the will of God is to be done. What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? The will of God can be known. And uh, what we're talking about here specifically is decision-making in the will of God. How can I know the will of God? Uh, or how can the will of God, indeed, how can the will of God be known? Sometimes one of the most often questions is, this, is well, what's, the, what's God's will? Well, how can I find out God's will? How can I determine God's will for me? We looked at this last, work, the, last week. Our primary focus, okay? Just think of it this way. Either put it in a circle or a triangle, because we'll get to the triangle later in the message. In the center of the triangle, our life is to be word-saturated. I measure everything by the plumb line of Scripture. Is it upright? Is it righteous? So I'm, I'm, my life is to be word-saturated. That's my primary focus. My life is to be spirit-controlled. Be not be filled. That means control. That, under the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit. I'm to be word-saturated, spirit-controlled. And the, and the third area is prayed up. Is there, is there as, as you, as the Spirit of God does its job and brings the conviction of sin, and as the Spirit of God speaks to you and reveals to you sin that is in your life, are, are you in turn confessing that before God and to God? Why? Because you don't want anything to come between your relationship with Him. Because if you're in a committed relationship, you want to love what He loves and hate what He hates and to be prayed up. 
So your words, think of it this way, in the center, you're to be word-saturated, spirit-filled, and prayed up. This is where it all begins. These three cannot be missed. If I was to say, I would say it this way, these three have to be in place in your life to understand and find the will of God. Word-saturated, spirit-filled, and prayed up. So as you seek to determine the will of God, you have to go back and ask these three questions to begin with. Am I, have I been saturated with the Word? Am I spending time in the Word? Am I letting the Word of God speak to me through the Spirit of God? Am I being filled with the Spirit? Am I under the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit? Or is this, in other words, as Galatians 5.16 says, am I walking in the Spirit or am I walking in the flesh? Spirit-filled and prayed up. Are, are you taking these things to God in prayer? Are you praying... Lord, if it's your will. Lord, if you can make it, we've often prayed, Lord, if you don't want this to happen, I pray you bring up all kinds of roadblocks. Make it so obvious in the negative side of it. But oftentimes, if you just knock those hurdles down, you'd realize, okay, he's leading me a step at a time. But are you prayed up? These three things have to be in place for you to determine what the will of God is. So, primary focus. Second area. Now we want to make, we have our primary, we're talking about decision-making in the will of God. We have primary focus. I realize I'm teaching this morning, but this is, people struggle with these things. Because we're, we're, sometimes we're in la-la land. And we just merely go through our day without thinking through what, what is God, how is God working in this? How does this work with my, my relationship with God? Which brings us then to principal decisions. What I mean by that is, we are making our decisions intentionally. On purpose, for a purpose. We're, we, we are specifically, as we seek out what is making a decision, determining what God's will is, we want to be intentional. In order for us to be intentional, there's two things, I believe, that we need to understand about Scripture. First of all, there's the declared will of God. The declared will of God is like a road map. I'll use our, our trip this summer. We went to Europe, and we had a GPS on our vehicle uh, that we rented in Germany, and we had a GPS that my brother-in-law had given us. Neither, we couldn't get either one of them to work. And we had a drive from Nuremberg, Germany, down to, as they say in Italy, Vincenza, Italy. That's about a five-hour trip, six-hour trip, I guess it was. And uh, we couldn't get the GPS to work. Well, guess what we had to rely upon? The road map in a different language. We just recognized, you know, kind of like it was like a point and scratch, but we, we recognized different names so we knew what roads we were supposed to be on. But we had to follow the road map to get from point A to point B. You couldn't just wander through the mountains, the Alps, to get from point A to point B. You had to know what road to take. Because there's lots of side roads you can take, and invariably you'll not only get lost, but you might kill yourself on some of those roads. So we had to follow the road map. This is the declared will of God. There are specific things and, and, uh, and, uh, that we follow because, of, because the declared will of God is a road map. Let me give them to you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 
verse 3. Sexual purity. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. This, this is the will of God. <laughs> Guess what? You don't have to pray about this. This is the will of God. Your sanctification. Sanctification has to be set apart from sin to personal holiness. That you, and then he gets real, he even gets more specific than that, than a general speaking about purity. He says that you abstain, that you hold off, it's like the, the runner giving a stiff arm to the tackler, that you abstain from sexual immorality. He gets real specific. And the word there for sexual immorality is pornea. Pornea is where we get our word pornography. In the context, is not only about, about sexual immorality, but it's broad in its application. Pornography. That you hold off as stiff arm that, that tackler of pornography. It could be adultery. It could be premarital sex. It could, it could be uh, homosexuality or sexual perversion. You're holding that off. Listen, you, you do not have to pray about these things. This, this is the declared will of God. Sexual purity. This is the will of God. The second one there is found in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. The attitude of gratitude. He said, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. Everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. You have a predisposition, you're already pointed in that direction, you're just going to be thankful. You're going to be thankful to God. You're going to be thankful for the server at the restaurant where you're going to eat lunch today. You're going to express your thankfulness every time they come to fill your water cup or our water glass. You just have an attitude of thankfulness. You're thankful to your family members. You're appreciative. This this is the declared will of God. You have that attitude of gratitude. The third one there. Spirit-controlled or spirit-filled, as we talked about before. Verse 17. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of God or will of the Lord is. Be filled with the Spirit, or be under the controlling influence. This is the will of God, that you be Spirit-controlled. That you be under the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. This is the will of God. Remember we talked about the triangle, we got the three things in the triangle, word-saturated, Spirit-controlled, and prayed up. You know Spirit-controlled? It's the will of God. That you be walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh. That is God's will. If you want to have a committed relationship with God, it's very important that on a daily basis you be under spirit, this, the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit. Spirit controlled, spirit filled. This is the will of God. Isn't that tough? Figure that out. It's the will of God. You don't have to figure it out. It is. Attitude of humility. First Peter 2, I mean. Verse 13. Now, I, I, I said attitude of humility. This specifically has to do with our submission to government. But in order to submit ourselves to government, we have to have this attitude of humility of humbling ourselves before even to begin with. So, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it to the king as supreme or to the governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God. This is the will of God. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. Suffer persecution. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God. 
there are going to be times in which you actually suffer for Christ's sake, and it's all part of the will of God of maturing you and bringing you to the place where you need to be. So, these are declared will of God. Sexual purity, attitude of gratitude, spirit controlled, attitude of humility, suffer persecution. This is declared will of God. This is a road map. These are specific spots and along the map that you find to get from Nuremberg to Vincenza. Secondly, there's a revealed will of God. There is, as we look at Scripture, different truths, different facts that stand out as we seek to determine God's will. Now, I use the word compass. The declared will of God is a road map. The revealed will of God is a compass. A compass points a general direction. As you and I seek to determine the will of God, many times we'll say there's a general direction I need to go. You know, I, I, I'm, you know I'm word saturated, I'm spirit controlled, I'm prayed up, I understand the declared will of God, I'm trying to live within that, those specific boundaries, but now I come to the compass, and there's some general pointing or direction that we go there. This is, this is what, I, what, what I'm re- talking about when I talk about the revealed will of God. There are some general principles that we follow, that we understand. First of all, and, and I'm going to present these to you in a series of questions. Have I searched the scriptures? You come at your, your, is there, as I seek, is this God's will, or is this the decision that I follow? Is there anything in scripture that directly or indirectly addresses the issue I'm talking about? Or considering? Have I searched the scriptures? Usually, we either never do that, or that's the last thing we do. That's really the first place you should start. Have you searched the scriptures? Is there anything directly or indirectly applying to this decision you have to make? Now, Psalm 1 starts out, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Now, notice the progress. Walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. He walks, he stands, he sits. Blessed, happy, contented is a man... Sometimes the word is even used, confident is a man who walketh not in the way of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. And then it goes on, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, and his leaf shall not wither, but he shall prosper. Listen. Have you searched the scriptures? You want to be confident, you want to be blessed, you want to be happy, you want to be able to determine the will of God? You need to search the scriptures. And you'll be like that tree, blinded by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth its fruit in its season, and it will not wither, but it will prosper. Search the scriptures. Second question. Have I sought godly counsel? There are In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22, it says, Without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Have you sought godly counsel? These are individuals who possess spiritual insight from Scripture. 
coupled with life experience. I've seen this happen many times, and this is where a person really wants to do a certain thing, and they go for counsel, and they go to somebody they know who's already doing that. Well, what kind of counsel do you think they're going to give you to begin with? Well, go ahead and do it, even if it's wrong. Godly counsel, an individual who has a knowledge of scriptures and has life experience coupled with that, so when you go to them, you're getting a real-life biblical application of scripture to how it applies to this situation. Godly counsel. I always, I've said this before, I think, to others individually as such, but I've always, what I appreciate about my parents, my parents were real. They we grew up in church, they were faithful in their service and ministry. They lived out the truth on a basis. And it was practical. It was practical application of life principles. And that's what I appreciate my parents. These are the kind of individuals that we ought to look for who have the, the life application of spiritual truth. Godly counsel. Have you sought out godly counsel? Third question. Have I gathered all the facts? Luke chapter 14, 28 to 30, this is the Davies paraphrase. Basically, this individual has gone to build a house. And he asked the question, or, or, or who goes to build a house that doesn't count the bricks first? Because what if he starts to build a house and he's not able to finish? What a bad testimony that would be. Well, have you gathered all the facts? Have you counted all the bricks? Have you looked at every angle? And godly counsel, by the way, will help you do that, to look at all the different angles, all the different sides, how deep the basement needs to be. What's the ceiling level? It's going to have, how many... Blocks. How many bricks? Have you gathered all the facts? Let me suggest three. Finances. Uh, to use the debate, are you going to have to borrow from China to pay for this? You need to look at your finances. Say, oh, Pastor Ken, I can, I can buy this car, okay? Can you make the payments? Can you make the repairs? You may be able to make that initial buy, but take that long look. Gather all the facts about the finances. This decision I'm making, let me ask you this question. How's it going to affect your family? I, we had a uh, highway patrolman that was in our church, and he was offered a job moving from Fort Lauderdale up to Tallahassee, Florida. It was a, I mean, it was a significant promotion, and he turned it down. It wasn't right for his family. He said, my family is at the age and where they are at this point in time in life, that it's better for us to stay here in this church, have them here in the school system that's established, even though financially it would be to my benefit for us to stay here. And lo and behold, five years later, after things had changed, he did make the move. Finances. How's it going to affect my family? Which falls in also future. We, when we're in decision-making, determining what the will of God is, many times we look at this little period, this little short segment of time. When we need to look at this short segment of time and say, this decision that I make today, what's that going to look like 20 years from now? Or 50 years from now? How is this decision I make today going to affect my grandchildren, even my great-grandchildren, who I may never see? You see, we need to take that long look. How's it going to affect the future? So we look at finances, family, future. Those just, that's just three things. 
There's many things you can look at. But have I gathered the facts? Have I counted the cost? How's it going to affect my family? What's it going to cause the future to look like? Fourth question. How will it affect my testimony? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. any. Basically what Paul's saying is, you know, as a Christian, I have absolutely complete liberty and freedom. But that's why he addresses there in Romans chapter 6, he said, just because I have this freedom, do I exercise it? He said, well, God forbid. How will it affect my testimony? This is a, I got this from someone else concerning this, the scripture here. How will it build me up? As I seek to determine whether this is God's will or not, how, how will it affect my testimony? Will it build me up? Will it make me a better man, a better father, a better husband, a better Christian, a better pastor? How will it build me up? How will it bless me? How, this decision I had to make, what significant difference or impact is it going to make? Will it benefit me, benefit my family, benefit my testimony? How will it affect my testimony? He said, I will not be brought under the power of any. And I, I, of all the things I've just said, I will say this. This decision that you're going to make, you're trying to determine the will of God. Let's say you decide that this is what God wants. Is this decision going to bind you in some way that's going to affect your testimony? Or to ignore the decision and keep going your own way, is that going to bind you? Is that going to give Satan a foothold, an opportunity to get some kind of control over your life? Does it build you up? Does it bless you? Does it benefit? Or does it bind you? Uh, all we talk about often when a baby is, is uh, brought home, they bundle them, give them that security. When we talk about binding, is this going to bundle you so you, have, you are completely helpless and, and, and going to be controlled by it and affect your testimony? So how's it going to affect your testimony? Fifth question, or last question. There's more questions. I'm just giving you a sample. How will it glorify God? And by the way, let me say this. This is the ultimate question, I believe. As a believer, the ultimate question is this. How will this glorify God? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Did you, did you catch that? Whether you eat or drink. He's talking about the mundane things of life. He's talking about whatever you eat and drink, whatever you do. Listen, if the mundane things of life, you're glorifying God, it'll be a lot easier to glorify God when it comes to those big decisions. Because often we think, well, the big decision, make sure that's glorifying God. No, what he's saying is it starts here. You glorify God here in these little things. Then when you come to the big decision, it will be just an automatic overflow to ask that question. Is this going to glorify God? Is this going to bring honor to his name? Will this bring credit to him? Is this, or how will this glorify God? Our primary focus, our primary focus to be word-saturated, spirit-controlled, prayed up. That's our primary focus. Principal decisions. The declared will of God and the revealed will of God. Which brings me 
to a third area, practical wisdom. What is practical wisdom? Well, first of all, practical wisdom still goes back to word-saturated, spirit-controlled, and prayed up. But practical wisdom, here, I'll give you this illustration of practical wisdom. I had already told you about my parents. I had, uh, when I was in college, my roommate said, uh, you know, there's some uh, school recruiters here. Let's go make, put out an application for uh, teaching school. I didn't pray about it. I just, I was a college student. I was an idiot. So I just went and fell out an application like everybody else. Well, I graduated from college, and that summer I had a job with a block layer, and uh, I knew that I had work. He had work for me up through uh, December. But at the end of July, I got a phone call from this school. They needed a history teacher. Then I prayed about it, and I went to my dad, and I said, Dad, told him, kind of laid it all out to him, and says, what do you think? And he said, this is practical wisdom, this is my dad, how many job offers do you have? One, I think that's your answer. It's practical wisdom. Practical. To take theory and put it to the test. Wisdom, common sense, or discernment. Uh, Knowledge is being able to take it apart. Wisdom is being able to put it back together. Practical wisdom. The ability to exercise discernment while applying common sense. I think it was Raleigh in one of my classes in seminary had said, there's a class that needs to be taught in seminary on common sense. The problem is, we can never find anybody to teach it. We talk about it, and it's always easy to apply common sense to somebody else's life. But when it comes to our own lives, we struggle with it. The ability to exercise discernment while applying common sense. Filmmaker, making principled decisions, I want, I want to reach back to that because I, I, want to, I want to touch on this example because it, it has a good application. Filmmaker Walt Disney was ruthless in cutting anything that got in the way of a story's pacing. Ward Kimball, one of the animators for Snow White, recalls working 240 days on a four-and-a-half-minute sequence in which he, the dwarfs made soup for Snow White and almost destroyed the kitchen in the process. Disney thought it was funny. But he decided the scene stopped the flow of the picture, so out it went. It was nothing wrong with it. It was good. It was funny. But it didn't add anything to the picture. Kenneth Langley, who's writing this, goes on, he says, When the film of our lives is shown, will it be as great as it might be? A lot will depend on the multitude of good things we need to eliminate to make way for life for the great things God wants to do through us. As we seek to make decisions and determine what the will of God is, there may be good things that are in place that we need to eliminate to do the really great things that God has for us. All right, let me just conclude this section with this. I just have one more slide of this. The will of God. Words saturated spirit-filled, and prayed up. Those are going to, and and as we have principled decisions, we have the declared will of God, we have the revealed will of God, and we have practical wisdom. 
This practical application of the truth is laid out in Scripture. All brings us to a point of determining the will of God. I hope that was helpful. Last slide as we close the message out here. The will of God can be enjoyed. There's two words, good and acceptable. Good is something that's precious, special. Acceptable is pleasing. The will of God is to be enjoyed. There is a myth uh, proposed out there that God has a cruel sense of humor and wants to play jokes on us by causing us to do things that we would never want to do. But the will of God, the truth of it is, the will of God is something to be enjoyed. There's no better place to be than in the center of the will of God. The parents who would desire to have their child stay home rather than go to the mission field, it would be safer for them to be in the mission field than be at home. And, I, and again, I think of the Mittens, or I think of the Canes, uh, the Smiths, I think of the Eckhoffs. They are in some dangerous, they are in some dangerous places. But yet they're in the safest place because they're in the will of God. It's to be enjoyed, not endured. And the will of God is done. That word perfect is not perfection, but it means accomplishment. It means that it is brought to a conclusion as, as the will of God is done. The will of God. If you desire to have a committed relationship with God to ensure and help in that process, the result will be the ability to determine the will of God, to make godly decisions. But in order to do that, you must be word-saturated, spirit-controlled, and prayed up. Is that where you're at? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, again for the word. We do pray that it become a reality in our lives on a daily basis. It will be consistent that our commitment to you may be unconditional, even as it says there in 1 Corinthians 10.31, of the mundane, the normal practices of life, that we will glorify your name, that we will live a word-saturated, spirit-filled, prayed-up life. And we thank you, God, for not only what you have done, but especially for who you are and how you continue to have that patience with us and that you are the God of the second chance. And we pray, Lord, even now as we come to the close of our service, that your name be uplifted. It's head bowed and eyes closed. If you're here this morning, I've been talking specifically to Christians. If you're here this morning and say, Pastor Ken, just pray for me. I, my walk with the Lord isn't exactly where it needs to be. Is there anyone like that? Any others? Father, we thank you, God, for this, the Spirit of God. We thank you for the tenderness of people's hearts and lives. And I pray as we go forward that these truths may sink home, that we know, as you said in your word, you promise it will not return void. It will carry out its, its intended purpose. In Christ's name we pray, amen.